I believe in an America where the separation of church and state is absolute, where no Catholic prelate would tell the president, should he be Catholic, how to act, and no Protestant minister would tell his parishioners for whom to vote, where no church or church school is granted any public funds or political preference, and where no man is denied public office merely because his religion differs from the president who might appoint him or the people who might elect him. And I'd like to thank the ghost of John F. Kennedy for that introduction to today's podcast on 500years.org. This is Jeff Till. Today is March 28th, 2016, and today we're going to talk about the separation of church and state and what's really sacred to us. I'm going to go through a little bit about the importance of separation in church of state, and then we're going to explore if there's other areas that might be sacred as well that would enjoy the same type of attitude and protection. As good schooled citizens, we are taught to believe that the separation of church and state is an essential part of our government. As I discussed in our funny government episode, where I talk about the First Amendment being bullshit, I sort of think this is an area that's very similar in the sense that the government shouldn't even have the word religion written into it anywhere, so that it, by whether it's stating or not stating, it doesn't suggest that it should have power over this aspect of our life. Now, historically, I understand why this was important, because a lot of I'm sure kingdoms and other nation states had either official religions or they had the persecution of people in the wrong religion. And I certainly appreciate this today. So even though I don't think government should have to even talk about religion, I'm certainly happy because we do see a lot of politicians who are sort of uh, batshit one way or the other about uh, religion and how it affects their performance in the government. So we, we learned this in school. I don't actually think the word separation of church and state is in any of the founding documents, but it's probably best represented here in the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So I think that sums it up pretty well. I'm going to go on a little tangent here. Note that in the First Amendment, which we both find so powerful for both speech and freedom of religion, that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. It just says Congress, so it doesn't say anything about perhaps the president or the 399,400 and change other people in the government that could possibly make a law that has uh, that violates this. Or even, you know, those f- free speech zones on college campuses or in a city I don't think there's anything here to stop a governor or a mayor or a college administrator or countless other people either suppress your free speech or your separation of church and state. So besides the historic precedent that the founding fathers had of nasty mixings between state and religion, it's also kind of weird that they're very similar in their appeal to imaginary authority their extrinsic reasons for being moral instead of intrinsic reasons for being moral, their reliance on laws, the reliance on the indoctrination of children for the propagation of either religion or state, 
And even taxing sort of sounds like tithing in a lot of ways. You take a percentage of your income and send it to the authority. So when they didn't want these things to mix, they were either making a very positive statement towards saying our power is different than their power, or they were just setting up a stage where they wouldn't compete in a way that would be detrimental. I, I'm not sure if that makes sense. One thing I really like about this whole thing is that crafty Christians have been able to avoid government hindrances by evoking their religion. So they're famous for not having to pay taxes for their churches. They, in the medical community, they sometimes don't have to perform certain reproductive procedures if it violates their religion. Uh, I think most of those are like handing out contraception, performing abortions, or performing other, you know, advice for country, you know, for reproductive services, and then homeschooling. So I'm a great benefactor from the crafty Christians separation of church and state when it comes to homeschooling, because I get to, as a secular guy, I get to homeschool my kids with that exception in the truancy and the compulsory education laws. Now, what's kind of dis disappointing about this is I can't evoke just my sense of preference to say, you know, I choose not to send my children to school because I find it to be a destructive and wasteful way to spend their time, and my real preference is that I teach them at home myself. Now, if that was the only argument, they would just say, you know, fuck you till everybody's got to go to school, no exception. But because the Christians were to say uh, our religious practices and our religious teachings need something different, they were able to get the exclusion. Another example is my good friend Chris takes a break from alcohol every Lent, and he is an atheist like me. And I asked, why do you choose Lent? And he, one of the big reasons is that when he stops drinking for that time, people try to get him to have a drink. It's like, come on, man, you know, you're at the party, you know, have a beer. And if he invokes Lent, everyone just immediately backs off. They're like, oh, dude, I'm sorry. Didn't know you were doing this for religious reasons. Other religions, too, have, I don't have a source for this, but you hear about like Native Americans getting to use dope or mescaline or something because of their ceremonies. So they, too, can evoke their religion to get exceptions from the government. And again, it's really too bad that we can't use other reasons to get exceptions for the government. Whereas if I were to say, I really don't want to pay this portion of my tax bill because I don't like how you're using the military to murder people, I can't just say that uh, based on my own morality. Or if I wanted to say, I want to smoke this marijuana cigarette, I can't do so based on my own personal preference and responsibility. I have to evoke something supernatural. So... The separation of church and state is a good thing, but it's also kind of bullshitty. Uh, for example, on our money, we have In God We Trust. The induction ceremonies for politicians and the president has them swearing to the Bible. Uh, when you go to court and you're under oath, again, you put your hand on the Bible. And I've seen them also use a Torah for a Jewish person. And I have no idea what they would use for an atheist they probably just would insist you use the Bible too. Uh, I've seen prayers at political events. I was once at a fundraiser and it started out with a prayer. We know there's ongoing debate of whether prayers should be allowed in school or not allowed in school, even in classrooms where every single person is a Christian. 
We've heard about abortion and gay marriage laws, mostly made on religious context. Oh, and what else? George Bush once said that God told him it was okay to start the Iraq war, which ended up being Iraq and Afghanistan for 13 or 14 years, with some estimates, official estimates, to be 150,000 people dead and a million people dead by other third-party estimates. So essentially, with all this church and state, he managed to get God to instruct him to do the most murderous event probably of my lifetime that we've ever you know that I've gotten to witness in any kind of serious way. And really the war itself is sort of in, an indirect religious war because the the enemy are all Muslims and it's said so there's cuz it, it we're pretty you know we don't really the US government I can't can't say we the US government doesn't care what country they're in apparently there's already six or seven that we've declared war on from Syria to Iraq to Afghanistan and the the only thing that sort of holds these things together is that they seem to be all islamic people and we don't say we're the white people and you're the islamic people it's sort of implied that we're religiously different than these guys so really the the most atrocious and most murderous aspects of our government are very much tied to religion and have very little separation of church and state. So which is it? Are we really good at separating church and state and we continue to hold that as an ideal or does the government say that and then completely lie about it and contradict itself? Well, it's kind of the later and we should be used to it because that's what they do for everything. And still, people believe that the idea, the concept of separation of church and state is greatly valuable and greatly desired. And that part's very encouraging. So this huge effort to make that part of our consciousness can be powerful and enticing. And what I wonder is, what if we took other concepts that are also very dear to us, even more dear than religion, things like, oh, I don't know, family, and childhood and you know other things that are even more sacred than religion and say philosophically we really must have a separation of blank and state because it's very important to us So if religion is so gosh darn important that we can't have the state cocking it up with their interference or their mandates, what about something important to us like healthcare? After all, healthcare is what cures us when we're sick and keeps us healthy and alive, so certainly it must be up there in importance to human flourishing. Now, it would have been nice if in that First Amendment they would say... Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of health care or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And then not just putting it there in the Constitution, but then beating it into our heads that it's a moral imperative to keep health care and the state separate at any cost possible. So what would happen? What we'd hope is that first, they would not they would not make a law respecting the establishment of health care, meaning they wouldn't put one kind of healthcare system and compel all of us to follow it, which is sort of what they did now with the mandate. Oops. 
And then they also couldn't prohibit the free exercise thereof, meaning they couldn't force you to see someone who was licensed by the AMA, limit the amount of pharmaceutical vendors that you could pursue, or limit your ability to access pharmaceuticals on your own without a formal gatekeeper. They could, people could buy insurance that had different uh, coverages and different costs, et cetera, et cetera. If you want to hear my full analysis, you can go about three podcasts back, F-Word in America, the separate, separation of healthcare and market is humanity's suicide. But anyways, if only healthcare was as important as religion, we could have that kind of mentality everywhere in our country. Okay, how about consumption? Is consumption sort of important like religion? I mean, consumption is like eating and drinking, and that's essentially what keeps us alive. So if our spiritual lives are important, surely the thing that keeps us totally alive, like eating, should also not be goofed up by the government. So that would update the Constitution. You know, I'm going I'm to make another update. I'm going to change Congress to just be the government. Government shall make no law respecting an establishment of consumption or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So this, this First Amendment is going to get pretty long once we expand it from just free speech, press, and religion to include consumption and health care. Right now, we do have all sorts of laws that prohibit our consumption. The war on drugs is probably the biggest example, sending probably well over a million people to be locked up for consuming a vegetable, essentially, which uh, I guess marijuana we would call an herb. The limitation, as we just said, about being able to purchase pharmaceuticals without a gatekeeper is another way they limit our consumption. They make certain foods and additives and other things like that illegal, uh, such as uh, raw milk, or we've even heard proposals for like the notorious soda ban that New York City was going to put in place that thankfully never went through. Limitations on tobacco and age, alcohol and age. These are other consumption items that the government has decided to step up and not be separate from. So I think consumption should be added to this fine, fine constitution that we're redrafting right now. And while we're at it, let's get rid of the F, the Food and Drug Administration, which is essentially the Consumption Administration. As free and smart people, we certainly don't need the government screwing with our food and drugs. I'm running for the presidency of the United States, and I don't see that it's the role of a president to go into states and interfere with their state law. Right. Well, let's, let's, uh, on, that, on, on that point... On that point, to, to voters out there for whom this is an important issue, let's, let's try to quickly go through it. Let, let me start at this end. We'll just go right through. I'll, I'll describe it this way. Are you a George W. Bush Republican, meaning a constitutional amendment to ban same-sex marriage, or a Dick Cheney Republican, who, like I believe the congresswoman just said, says this should be made, this decision, same-sex marriage, should be a state's decision? State's decision. John, I support a constitutional amendment to define marriage as between a man and a woman. I was the co-author of okay. the state, a law in Minnesota to define okay. it, but okay. now we have courts jumping over Okay, let's over just go that. through. 
the, the federal government shouldn't be involved. I wouldn't support an amendment, but let me suggest one of the ways to solve this ongoing debate about marriage, look up the dictionary, we know what marriage is all about, but then get the government out of it. Why doesn't it go to the church and why doesn't it go to the individuals? I think right. I don't think government okay. should give us a okay. license to get okay. married. It should be in the church. Governor Romney, constitutional amendment or a state decision? Constitutional. Mr. Speaker? Well, I helped author the Defense of Marriage Act, which the Obama administration should be, frankly, protecting in court. I think if that fails, at that point you have no choice except to go to a constitutional amendment. We heard the Congresswoman's answer, Senator. Constitutional amendment. Look, the constitutional amendment includes the states. Three-quarters of the states have to, have to ratify it. So the states will be involved in this process. We should have one law in the country with respect to marriage. There needs to be consistency on something as foundational as what marriage Very quickly. John, I do support a constitutional amendment on, on uh, marriage between a man and a woman, but I would not be going into the states to overturn their state law. Wow. So I guess everybody has a really strong opinion over who can get married and who cannot. Now, I've never been a sort of social justice warrior who has had much stake in the game in, in gay marriage. But obviously, these monsters want to have a direct control over what happens there, which some of it's kind of funny because Michelle Bachman, who is the first woman you heard, this is the 2012 presidential debates is actually gay married herself to her big gay husband. So anyway, if we find religion to be have to be separate from the state, then certainly family decisions have to be separate from the state. Because really, is there anything more important to us than family? So first, these, this whole gay marriage debate, as you heard the good Dr. Paul say, perhaps, perhaps the state shouldn't be involved in these family decisions whatsoever. The state only started getting into the marriage business back when they wanted to keep black people and white people from getting married. So the thing is just bathed in sinister intentions all the way through. If we move on to other aspects, such as abortion and family planning, the state seems to have no problem getting into this, this tangle at every single turn and every single election. Adoption laws are still very difficult to the point where you the adoption conversation almost never happens in context of the abortion discussion. And how much of that would be alleviated if adoption wasn't so insanely legal bound and so expensive? It can cost tens of thousands of dollars to and months and months of time to adopt a child even domestically. Then, of course, school is compulsory and removes children from their parents for the majority of the waking day. I think I've talked about that before. And then even when you die, the government has to have its say in doing probate and how your belongings can be transferred to your kin. So I go for separation of family and state as joining our new First Amendment. Thus, government shall make no law respecting an establishment of family or prohibiting the free exchange thereof. Huh. Yeah, I guess we don't have to worry. We have never had to worry about them establishing a family. Although they are cocking with the free exercise thereof. By the way, I'm using the word cocking which is a verb that means to mess around with. It's popular in England, and you don't hear it much over here. I had first seen it on a work product that I was working for my business, and my British customer 
said, boy, you really cocked up this sentence. And I was terribly nervous because I here in the litigious United States, I thought all the women were going to be really upset. Anyways, I digress. The beating of this concept in the separation of family and state wouldn't be possible by the state like they do with the separation of church and state because the kids wouldn't be in school to hear how important it was for all those hours, days, months, years. Okay, First Amendment time. Beat this in to the culture. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of education or prohibiting the free exchange thereof. Now, if you want to hear my views on education, go to episode one, The Complete Case for Home Education, or buy my book, Rise Above School. Search it on Amazon.com, and you will see my full, complete case with 58 separate arguments. Anyways, let's make it so that we're passionate about making sure we have separation of state and education, because education is how we gain and appreciate knowledge and how we apply knowledge and what we work and what we enjoy. And if something is terribly important, I'd say education is. So we absolutely do not want the government involved in education, neither uh, making a law respecting the establishment of education where you are forced to go with compulsory school laws or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, where you're not free to spend your time, whether it's in home education, or finding your own tutors, or making your own experiences, or doing that apprenticeship, or doing whatever you need to do, wearing your Oculus Rift, and doing virtual reality. All of those options should be fully legal and not hindered by the existence of public state education. Okay, so my new First Amendment is getting really packed. And as I've said before, such as in the episode of Our Funny Government, I hate even suggesting that the government gets to say that we they get to or not get to do something. It probably shouldn't be there at all. But the last separation of what and state is children. Certainly, if we found religion and then healthcare, and then consumption, and then family to be too important to have the government involved. Certainly, we could convince ourselves that children should also be separated from the state. And probably the two biggest ways that we see intervention between the state and children is, of course, school, which we've already talked about, and then their inability to participate in commerce. So the separation of children and state would reverse what we have now, which is separation of market and child. And we can see this trend going, you know, faster and faster as the decades go on. It used to be okay to send children to work even at a very young age, where they would get to participate in production and commerce, and then child labor laws came around, and later children were only expected to work or allowed to work when they were teenagers, 
minimum wage laws came in and it became harder and harder to hire teenagers. And as the school day became more onerous and there was more options uh, uh, for putting them in latchkey or whatever, the uh, the opportunity to work disappeared to where it is now, where very f- it's not considered, especially in probably the, the middle class and upper class, for children not to work at all and perhaps not even start until they're in college or even they are kept away from the market all the way until they are done with their university education, putting them between the ages of 22 and maybe even 28 before they're ever working for their first job. And the danger here is that children can only consume in this way. They can't produce. And it's very easy to look at consumption and see things that don't look fair especially if you don't have your own money or your own financial responsibility. You have to wonder if this can foster an anti-capitalistic or socialistic viewpoint. So if you only consume, you can never understand production, and you begin looking at wealth inequality only in consumption terms. You see the Mercedes and the lobster dinner, but you, and you see that you don't have either of those, but you don't see the other side of uh, producing money and producing value, more value, then you're taking out the you don't see the whole full picture of capitalism and i noticed that and this goes but this is sort of is related to our disney conversation on how some people seem to hate commerce now there's people like me and other people i know that seem to delight in commerce not in just buying what the market is creating or being amazed at what new technologies are coming down the pike or what you know how amazing these phones are that we have in our pocket or getting excited about self-driving cars uh, or deep analytics or just how you know wildly entertaining the market is in its creation of new things whether it's the crazy chicken sandwich that only has bacon sauce and no bread or whether it's the new Oculus Rift that will enable us to have virtual reality and experience a new world in totally new ways. But we also kind of delight in commerce because we constantly think of how our businesses succeed and how we can create like a new offering that our customers might like, or we might feel great satisfaction in delivering our services and our goods to the market and having happy customers. We just did a audit sort of for one customer and they wanted to know how many projects we had done over the course of the year and it turned out to be 456 and that's not even half of our business and I was just amazed at like, wow, that's a lot of work we did. That's a lot of value we created. But if we go back to keeping children and the market separated or commerce and children separated, they're never really going to experience that. They're just going to have this frustration of this limited consumption pattern that they have. And consumption choices are probably always going to be something that they they see as something that they're denied. And as I said in last episode, their parents may even use commerce as a term of denial. We can't afford that. Uh, we don't have the money for that, etc., they don't explain to children how they could possibly participate in commerce and then achieve the consumption that they want. So they always just see commerce as a consumer or basis of what they can get and never what they can create. I believe schools are culpable in this. We learn that money is the root of all evil and that capitalism in general is not how schools are run. They're run as sort of authoritarian 
organizations that have all these external extrinsic motivations to for punishments and grades and rewards and any competition is only for that it's not for it's the competition to win the approval of your authority your teacher not the competition to see who can provide the most value to the other students so the entire case against freedom lives in government schooling but it may equally be hinged on how we separate children from markets and children from commerce so what I'm hoping is that the prevailing belief amongst all of us is just as strongly as we want separation of church and state, is that we want separation of children and state, and we want to completely remove this ridiculous notion of separation of market and child. Okay, just one more. New First Amendment, new social belief. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of market or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Just imagine if that was part of our belief system, that the government should have be completely separated from the market, from all commerce, the separation of commerce and state. I'm really digging this one, guys. Let's try to make this happen, because right there, we get rid of our F-word in America, our fascism without philosophy. So, I think we could go on for a long time with this line of thought. And the difference between just saying, hey, look at, here's an anarchistic philosophy, here's libertarianism, and this is that we, we've seen a precedent for where we've taken one part of our lives that we find sacred, and we've demanded that we keep them separate from the government, and yet we have all these other aspects that should be just as dear to us, and we don't have that same opinion. When I say we, I'm speaking generally as the normal mouth-breathing TV watcher that most of us are. I'm kidding, of course. And I wanted to go on, we could we could continue this to go on to justice and security and contracts and all sorts of other things. Those would be very long conversations, of course. But even if this can be like just a little tool in our toolbox when talking to people about how we value a separation of state from some things and somehow we, we blank out, uh, we become stupid when we talk about it in other ways, maybe we can just bring this little argument back that if religion was so dear to us that things like family education consumption etc are also so anyway thanks for listening and i'm going to actually have another podcast up fairly soon so as a favor to me please in itunes or wherever you can give me some stars rate my podcast hopefully well we're only getting about 30 listeners it looks like at this point and i think i've proven to myself that I can at least keep one episode every three weeks, every month. So it would be great if you could pass the word on and have people check it out, especially if you think there's good stuff in here. So thanks so much. Talk to you soon.